Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Meredith. During this podcast, Dr. David Wall from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill discusses PrEP barriers and potential solutions in cisgender women. For more information about Dr. Wall and this program, and to follow along with the slides, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what Dr. Wall has to say about this topic. Let's talk about uptake PrEP in cisgender women. About a third of people who could be, should be on PrEP maybe, or at least discuss it with them, that only about a third are on PrEP, but it's even lower for cisgender women with only about 12%. So it's gotten, it's gotten better, but it's still not great. Loads of barriers, of course, to cisgender women, cis women taking PrEP. And I'll highlight some of the key ones. Lack of information or awareness, that's huge. That's true across the board. We have a little bit of an information vacuum. And low perceived risk. This is pretty consistent throughout most of the world. So when you look at women who are at risk for HIV infection and question them, and survey them about their risk, there is a tendency for there to be an underappreciation of risk. Now, we should also be clear that in the United States, there's really good data that show that a lot of women who acquire HIV do not have really extreme risk factors. Their partner number is not that much different than partner number of white women, that you know, there's no indication that there's more substance use or mental health issues. So there's other structural and sociological forces at work, and we can get into that, including the role of mass incarceration and the paucity of men and the type of mixing that occurs under certain circumstances when there's gender imbalance. There's a lot of factors, uh, STIs, which facilitate HIV transmission. So it can get somewhat complicated, but oftentimes women don't perceive their risk to be there when there is evident risk, like having more than one partner. And then there's these other things that I think most of us can, can read and understand. There's also a concern, uh, and I think this is more on the healthcare provider rather than most of the women we can talk to, that they need to have higher adherence levels, that the penetration of the drug into the tissues of the reproductive tract of a woman require greater adherence. And, and we're learning that that may not be completely the case. So there was a really nice analysis from Jeannie Morazzo, who's now the new NIH director, showing that when you pull data from 11 different large projects from different countries over the last decade or so, and you look at adherence measured from a couple of different ways, it turns out that if women take, you know, basically four to six doses of TDF, FDC a week, that there's minimal infection. And that's very similar to what we've seen in cisgender men. So this whole like higher bar to adherence for women on PrEP may, may not actually be real. And that, that can make it a little bit easier for us to say, okay, even as someone who may not take it exactly the way we want, it's still a worthwhile proposition. For a long acting injectable PrEP, women actually do better, cisgender women than men, as far as for the forgiveness. It's pretty remarkable that even when there's delays in giving um, the injection beyond the eight weeks, there seems to be better protection than what we see in men. That actually is another good factor. So how do we support PrEP adherence and um, persistence in cis women? Uh, there's definitely a whole bunch of things that are listed here. It's, again, really hard to make all of this happen. I get it. Um, but definitely talking about 
patient's vulnerability instead of their partner's uh, risks, talking more about their relationships, looking at recent STIs. And really, I think some of the stuff that makes more sense, like offering PrEP at clinics women frequent more often, like OBGYN clinics. And, you know, again, there's not been a full on leaning in of obstetricians and gynecologists for PrEP. It's been some, but I think we could do better. Certainly same thing for family planning clinics and certainly primary care clinics, more and more college campuses and and student health. Again, I'd like to see this be um, even more than what we're seeing right now. And health departments, you know, they're, if you've seen one health department, you've seen one health department, right? They're all different. They have different structures across different states, different levels of autonomy, lots of different things they're supposed to do. I think it's very hard. Some health departments have done great at prep. Others, really, really hard for them to do this. They're not basically set up for longitudinal follow-up of people. So there's a lot of problems inherent in our system that make this difficult. But I do think that there are opportunities within existing healthcare structures to provide prep to people. And it's in a survey of 500 women following a family planning clinic visit, you know, of the 30% determined to be at risk of HIV by their provider, 76 would have been willing to take prep, but it wasn't offered. Again, this is all about missed opportunities. This is sometimes hard for people to remember which drug can be taken and how in cisgender women. And so, you know, daily TDF FTC fine. Like that's the default. But what about like on demand, you know, two pills, two to 24 hours before sex, one pill, you know, within 24 hours after sex and another pill within 24 hours after that, which we've seen in um, men or sex with men be effective. It hasn't been studied in women. What about TAF FTC? Believe it or not, this also hasn't been well studied in women, although studies are underway. Theoretically should work just as well. I just don't have the data to show you that it does. And then injectable cab, this has been well studied in cis women, and we know it works really well, as I indicated before. There is a depriverine ring. Um, It does seem to work as well. This is a vaginal ring, but we don't have it here in the United States. What about PrEP and pregnancy? It's basically not a huge issue, and certainly TDF-FTC, we're not too worried about this. Certainly a lot of TDF-FTC has been used in women who are HIV positive to control their HIV along with other HIV medicines, and those women go on to breastfeed, and we've not seen any risk of this to their babies. So I I think that this is totally fine. So if using it for PrEP, can continue to use it for PrEP. And then um, what about the long-acting injectable? Again, uh, we don't have a whole lot of data, and so this really requires a shared decision-making decision with a person whether or not they want to continue on long-acting cabotegravir. It's just sort of a data-free zone. Thank you very much to Dr. Wall, and thank you to our listeners for joining in. As a reminder, to view the full Contemporary HIV Treatment and Prevention 2023 program on the Clinical Care Options website, and to access the slide set for Overcoming Barriers to PrEP Uptake, click on the links in the show notes. And please be sure to check back for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thank you, and have a great day.